TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by a fan of That Paleo Show. He's from all the way over in the UK, which we're pretty excited about. It's quite nice to know that, you know, not just the Aussies, but people all around the globe are getting into That Paleo Show. And this guy sent me an email with just an amazing story of a health journey that he's been on, um, marathons that he's run, Use solely doing the paleo diet, recovery from injury. It was just a fascinating story. And so he reached out to us just to let us know that we'd had an influence on him, which is amazing. And, and I love it when people do that, whether it's by email or on social media or leaving messages on iTunes. It's just fantastic. He reached out to us to let us know. And when I read his story, I thought, you know what, this is just a great story to share. I'm going to contact him and see if I can get him on the show. So this week I'm joined on the show by Tim Byrne. Welcome to the show, Tim. Hey, hi, Brett. You okay? It's great to have you on board, mate. I, I just realized I usually yeah. double check how to pronounce last names before I start recording. No, did I, did that I get was, it right? That was spot on. Oh, Absolutely yes. spot on. All right, beautiful. Now, Tim, <laughs> you've had quite a journey, mate. Uh, your email made fascinating reading, and uh, and it, it's amazing what you've been able to do and how you've been able to recover. But So let's let's share with everyone your story. Let's go right back to the start. Tell us a bit about your journey. Okay. Okay. Um, goes if we take it back about to about 2010 um, and I was involved with with my daughter in quite a, a horrible car accident um, I, I'm not sure if this translates in Australia but um, uh, joyriders people who yep. steal cars yeah we got that yeah yep. uh, yeah and um, we were just driving home um, and um, we were sideswiped and right. uh, came from nowhere um, the car was basically written off, smashed to bits, um, uh, and we were very, very fortunate in, in the in the accident. All the airbags went off. The car was smashed to bits. The the windows were smashed in. Um, I think, if anything, the the if you can picture it, the car came at me about 30, 40 miles an hour into the side of the car, into the driver's side of the car, um, and um, it. It, it basically, um, the airbag, I think, probably saved my life in, 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 the, in the situation. Um, I had fractured ribs. I had, um, I was black and blue down the side. I had problems with sleep. I had problems with um, going to the toilet afterwards uh, for quite some time. But what I hadn't realized was I'd actually torn um, my uh, labrum in my, in my hip on my right side. And um, it, it wasn't until a few years later I'd realised that I'd actually torn that part of my um, of my insides of my leg. Um, so what I tried to do is I still had a love for running and still continued to run, and had a, a dull ache of pain in in my hip, and um, it just never went away. And within the next couple of years, I, I addressed my first half marathon. So I managed to complete that with a lot of pain. Mm. And I was thinking, what, what is the problem? So I went to see a consultant um, around 2012, 2013, and they ran various te tests. And they found that I'd actually torn 
and um, the labrum, which is the with it's it's within the ball and socket of the hip joint. Yeah. Um, and it, it 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 basically leads to a lot of inflammation, a lot of pain, a lot of aching. And um, I was basically told by the uh, consultant that um, surgery really wasn't an option because of the um, what I would gain, I might not, I might lose from it. I had cortisone injections in the hip, and basically, I was told at that time it would it would probably be best to retire from from running. So um, I was quite in a low place at that point because yeah. you know running is something that is important to me. So. Um, I came, I resigned to the fact that that would be the case, really. So I decided to try different things, and uh, the, the doctors have suggested um, uh, other less load bearing um, activities. So I tried cycling. And uh, for all those cyclists out there, I, I, I'm apologizing what I'm going to say, but I just didn't, it wasn't for me. <laughs> and I, I, <laughs> I tried it and I gave it up, really. So I was sort of by the beginning of sort of 2014. Um, I didn't really know where to, where to turn and what to do. Um, so at that time, again, a lot of your viewers um, or listeners would have um, probably read the book "Born to Run." Yeah, love it. Such a good yeah. book. Yeah, we, we've yeah. interviewed we've interviewed Tim um, on uh, on the Wellness Guys, I think it was, and uh, it was a great yeah. interview. Very cool. Yeah, I think I, I remember listening to that one, and I um, I thought, well, my logic was if I can actually start to develop to be a forefront runner and take the load off my hip, I yeah. can have probably have another go at running. Mm. So I, I had a go at um, at that. Did all the research, read the books, um, I, I tried to develop the a minimalist run, and again, <laughs> I had lots of problems because I was. I was probably too fast. The transition was, yeah. I, I was too fast with, <laughs> with the transition. And if you name it, it, it went wrong. So um, I sort of failed at that as well. Um, but also, whilst I was doing that, it led to uh, metatarsal problems because I was putting too much weight on the forefront of my feet and the balls of my, my feet were having issues as well. So... Um, I even went to consultants about that because for those people who have suffered from that, yeah. you have um, a real burning sensation in the front of your feet. Yeah. And um, it was very difficult to diagnose. And basically, uh, I was actually told, again, to lay off running because I was pushing myself too far. So, um, And that's where I was up to 2015. So by 2015... I, th I thought my hip's still sore. I'm still in problems. I still want to keep fit. I still want to keep uh, exercise, etc. Um, and I went back to the consultants, and um, they basically had um, I changed their view, and they felt that surgery could be done. And um, in 2015, I was recommended for a hip arthroscopy. Now, many of your um, Viewers may not know what a hip arthroscopy is. Would you like me to go through what a hip arthroscopy yeah, is? Yeah, absolutely. Let, let people know. That's important. Okay. Because when I did a lot of research on this, and, and the internet's a, a good place to start, there weren't many people, um, there wasn't a lot of information about what, what a hip arthroscopy was. But basically, it's, it's um, 
as you may know yourself, any ball and socket joint is, is probably the most complex, uh, pivotal areas in the body in terms of uh, muscle and and, uh, and joints, etc. And it involved complex hip surgery, which, um, looking back, was um, <laughs> was quite um, was quite uh, quite funny when I look at it now because <laughs> it it involved. Um, Four to five hours of surgery. Um, yeah. I was obviously out for that, for that time. And what I didn't realise at the time is that you're on a, you're stretched on a traction table in the theatre. Yeah. When you have the operation, and the idea is is that they're trying to stretch the bone, um, your femur bone, away from your pelvis to create a space where they're going to do the complex surgery in your hip. Yeah. Um, and what they did is I've got as a I've still got the, um, the scars. I've got four scars, very small scars on the hip. And that's where the four holes were drilled into my hip. And they did microsurgery on my hip. And they use a light. They have a cutter. They have a shaver. And they have a hoover as well, which is to <laughs> hoover all the bits up as well. It sounds so high tech, um, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it sounds <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like the sort of things that you could find in your house, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. But um, it... it but it was obviously very high tech, and um, so what they did is they um, they trimmed the excess labrum, which is the just like a thin cartilage that runs around the the ball and socket, which keeps the the um, the fluid inside the the ball and socket, and um, they trimmed all that off. They restitched the labrum. They washed and cleaned all the ball and socket joints. But they also, and it doesn't sound very pretty, but they also shaved the top of the femur bone down yeah. to smooth out any bumps in the hip as yeah. well. And that was um, that was only in June 2015. So following that, I had um, probably three months of inactive and limited movement in the hip. And I went through all the, the right things to do. So I had... Um, I had to go through physiotherapy. I started on crutches, and then I went through physio, and then I had uh, I'd had hyd- hydrotherapy, and then I had a, an exercise regime to follow as well. And if there was anyone out there going through this, the, the, the best thing I ever did was to stick to the exercises absolutely rigidly because I was determined to get mobility back into my hip. Yeah. So, um, but at this time, I was also concerned about my um, inactiveness. So that then also triggered um, my thinking around reducing carbs and moving to a, a paleo diet as well. So since then, um, or from that time, I had two things going. Um, so and then, following that, that I just time, slowly got stronger and stronger. And it wasn't only until the beginning of this uh, year, 2016, I started to tentatively start running again. Yeah. Um, and I think I was, at, <laughs> it was January 2016, this year. Um, I think I completed my first mile, first mile and a half. And I was really pleased with myself that, it, you know, my hip was starting to feel okay. Um, and then throughout the spring, just gone, I started to step up my miles slowly. 
Um, and I think it was around only March this year, I was only reaching about six miles was my maximum distance that I was covering. Yeah. And um, I just thought I'd, I'd give myself a target. And I signed up for my uh, for what um, what was then the Liverpool Half mar- Marathon. Nice. And I signed up 34 days before the marathon, <laughs> before the half marathon. Um, <laughs> Which was a bit of a, it was terrifying really, because I wasn't sure if I'd be able to do it. And uh, I stuck to a, a regime. And uh, in May this year, I completed my recent first half marathon. Mm-hmm. And I completed it in two hours, eight minutes. Oh, that's good going. I was quite pleased with. Yeah. Um, then I did my second one in July 2016. And then I did that in 158. And then the real challenge this year was um, I, I set myself a target at the beginning of the year that I'd, I would try and do a, my first marathon, um, something on my bucket list. And yeah. October, two weeks ago, I completed my first um, marathon, which was the Chester Marathon. And I did that in four hours, 43. That's brilliant. It, well, it was because t- <laughs> towards the end, it, it felt like it was going to be longer. Yeah. Um, and I, I, stayed, I stayed good until about 18 and then I started to get tired. But, um, <laughs> but what was good about it, though, it wasn't just my first marathon. It was obviously my first paleo marathon as well. Um, so yeah. from about a year and a half ago, when I started to have my hip problems and I was concerned in case I put weight on, I started to cut the carbs and um, I haven't really looked back since really. So I have, I don't have a a zero carb diet, but I have a low carb, high fat diet and um, it works really well. That's great, mate. It's it's an amazing journey that you've done. I mean, you know, I've I've run a marathon. Um, I, I just did one. That was enough for me. And, and I've run an ultra marathon. <laughs> and I know how hard it is. You know, running a marathon is a tough gig for anyone. Um, let alone coming from the the incredibly you know low base and the challenges you've been through to be able to bounce back from that and and still run a marathon is is quite incredible. You know, I, I can remember getting towards the end of my marathon and there was this little hill coming up towards Adelaide Oval for those who are from South Australia, you know, just from the Torrens up to the bridge there. And this little hill that was only about 30 metres long and it was probably only about at most five metres worth of elevation. (laughs) And it seemed like like Mount Everest when I was coming to that last (laughs) kilometre of the marathon because... It's a yeah. tough gig running a marathon. So for you to be able to do that from that sort of uh, recovery standpoint is is quite incredible. So let's go back and, and delve into some parts of that story. I mean, you know, you mentioned the okay. hip surgery. And I think sometimes people don't realize how, I guess, how gross and how graphic hip surgery or any sort of surgery can be. You know, we, we tend to think of these surgeons because they are so highly trained, because they have such, you know, great equipment available to them. We tend to think of it as being this sort of, gentle delicate little procedure uh, but I think you know for me I remember that sort of being blown out the water for me when I one of my friends at school had his jaw reset and I remember him having this strange bruise in the middle of his chest and when we tried to figure out what the bruise was we couldn't quite figure it out until a couple of weeks later someone pointed out that it was actually the same shape as a footprint and we realized that that was actually the surgeon's <laughs> footprint in his chest because he'd been having to use so much force to actually reset his jaw and and you know yeah. if, if anyone knows anything about hips you know that 
you know, trying to dislocate or subluxate a hip in order to create space to be able to do that. You know, it takes an incredible amount of force to be able to separate a hip joint so you can get in there and do surgery. And so, you know, it's not surprising that when you're you're putting that amount of force on a joint and then you're, you know, shaving away at bone, which, you know, anytime anyone who's had, you know, a bruise on their bone, you know, you've belted your shin against something in your lifetime, you know that bone bruising can be incredibly painful, <laughs> um, mm. let alone the damage that was done to the muscles and the ligaments. And, and don't take this in any way, any sort of criticism towards the surgeon. This is just what needs to be done if you're doing that sort of surgery. Sure. Um, so, Absolutely. you know, to recover from that is a really big deal. And sometimes people don't realize going into it just how much uh, you know, how much recovery there is going to be required. And for a lot of people, that can be a really tough mental challenge as anything. So can you tell us about how you went mentally post-surgery, you know, not being able to move as much as you'd like, struggling with your oh. body, you know, not being able to run the way you used to? How did that affect you? It was awful. Um, you know, from someone who's an active person or, or someone who's tried to be an active person, to be told that you've got potentially three months recovery yeah um and you have to do that in order to get better in the long run yeah and, and i guess that potentially you may never get back to where you were it was very right? hard and unfortunately for me it was it was june july august which were summer months you know mm -hmm. compared to your summers you know our summers aren't great but basically i just had to keep mentally strong and, and say to myself um i've got to do I've got to stick to the exercises. I've got to do what I'm supposed to do. I can't push myself as much as I would like to. Um, and in every way, in every day, I'm going to get a little bit stronger. And that was that was luckily the case. And to have a very supportive family, that helped. And um, probably push myself a little bit further than I should have done. <laughs> but I was fortunate in, in I, I didn't have any relapses. Um, uh, I made sure that I did the exercises that I, I, I was supposed to do. But um, it took a lot of mental and willpower to sort of keep focused in looking at not just where I was now, but looking at the long game and, and thinking, you know, in three months' time, I'll be able to be pain-free. I'll be able to hopefully exercise in the way that I want to rather than um, worry about cortisone injections or take tablets to to reduce the inflammation in the hip. Yeah, well, it's great that you're able to have that sort of long term perspective because I think that's crucial with with any sort of recovery like that is, is understanding that there's a big picture there. And whilst day to day can be frustrating, and you know, I guess that that quote comes to mind that people overestimate what they can do in a day and underestimate what they can do in a lifetime. You know. <laughs> You, you, you want to be able to see tangible change every single day, but that's not necessarily the case. But if, but if you do do what you did and, and stick at it, then then over the longer period of time, you can get, you know, in your case, amazing changes. Um, the other thing I think is really important for people to understand is that, you know, really one of the biggest challenges when people are recovering from these sort of surgeries is is the immobility. You know, immobility really for your joints is is a massive challenge and, and they're, you know, you need to keep them moving as much as possible. So, you know, for someone like yourself who, who does push yourself a little bit more, in many ways, so long mm. as you're being somewhat sensible and not overdoing it, then you know, yeah. then that's actually you know that tends to be the people who do tend to recover quite well. You know, it, it tends to be the people who who aren't as active in their recovery that can really struggle in terms of recovery from those sort of surgeries as well. So it's, yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I think it's really important that you having that sort of um, 
approach to it that if you if I hadn't done the exercises, then I would have it would have prolonged the recovery process, and I just had to be patient, and and it, and it paid dividends. It paid it paid off in the end. Yeah. And so, obviously, you know, you mentioned the dietary changes that you made, and you said that you know initially sure. you sort of made those uh, from a weight perspective of you know not wanting to stack it on, I guess, while you were being uh, have being forced to be more inactive. Um, but what did you notice mm. in terms of your healing and the inflammation that was going on in your body when you started to make those dietary changes? Well, what what's been really interesting is that um, <laughs> slowly but surely, but but over quite a quick period of time, I managed to cut out significant parts of my diet by, I suppose, displaying a level of, of, of willpower. But that included cakes, sweets, biscuits, mm-hmm. any refined sugar, pasta, pizza, chips, um, any wheat products I would try to minimize, cereals. Um, I don't do takeaways. Um I've cut down on the milk. I don't do milk. I do decaf now. Um, and what I found was um, significant improvements in my. I, I've heard people talk about these things, and I, I, I took it with a pinch of salt whether it would make a big difference. And and I can tell you, it's made a huge difference to me um, in terms of how I've recovered quickly and and how I feel in myself. So. I genuinely feel better. I feel I feel brighter in the mornings. I feel less groggy. I feel much more alert. And um, something which is significantly um, noticeable is there's I have less bloating. I have less stomach issues. It's very rare. In fact, funnily enough, it's um, it's my birthday today, and I had some birthday cake, oh, and I don't normally. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I normally have, I don't normally have cake and stuff, and I had some cake today. And about half an hour afterwards, I had, I had pains in my stomach. Mm. And, you know, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to do it on your birthday. But it, it just <laughs> highlighted to me that the, the link between, you know, what you eat and how it has an effect on your body. Absolutely. And what about the hip, Tim? Do, do you notice any extra aches and pains and inflammation and those sort of things in the hip when you do? Um, you know, not stick to your diet as strictly. Um, I'm I'm pretty good at sticking to it. Um, I, I still get the odd twinge, but compared to where it was, uh, and I think that's down to the the strengthening of the muscles in the area and the um, the the dedication to stick to a a sort of a what you might call real food diet. Yeah. So, you know, that's one of the most common questions I get. A lot of people want to ask me about, um, you know, exercise and, you know, maybe it might be marathon running, it might be, you know, in the gym doing exercise, whatever it happens to be, about what they should be eating. So can you give us an idea of what you do, Tim, uh, I guess before, during and after training and then also before, during and after the marathon, the actual race day? Well, race day was quite funny because um, it started at 9 o'clock in the morning and in order to get there at the right time, we had to leave at um, quarter past six in the morning. So it was quite early to to sort of cook or fry anything. Yeah. So my sort of my my morning my long runs would normally be 
a banana, maybe maybe two bananas, and um, I, I run with um, a, a backpack, you know, for the long runs, yep. and um, a hydration pack, as it were. And um, for the marathon, I had um, it was water, coconut water, and a pinch of salt, or nice. you know, a spoonful of salt. Um, and I ran. Uh, I didn't do any gels, any liquids, any. Um, um, particular, you know, the um, sugar drinks, anything like that. And I thought, I was quite worried if I've got to be on a honest breath because not doing a marathon before and everything you read in most books talks to you about um, refilling and, and getting sugar back into your body. And, and I was quite confident that I'd moved to a fat-adapted diet and, uh, and I have been running in a fat-adapted mm. way. So, but the proof in the pudding was the actual race, and um, I I didn't hit any wall. I was uh, I didn't bonk. I, I managed to cope with the run. I just got tired towards the end, and I think that was just um, inexperience and <laughs> and maybe a little bit of lack of training towards the end because of uh, of work life balance. But um, I was really keen to make sure that I stuck to a paleo style marathon as well. So my energy for the day was um, I had nuts, uh, sort of Brazil nuts and cashew nuts in one bag and raisins and dried fruits in another bag, thinking that one would give me more of a sugar boost and the other one would give me more of a fat boost. And lots of things went wrong on the morning of the marathon, which was quite funny. So uh, for any advice for anyone doing their first one, make sure that you are well prepared. Because I, the time between 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock went in a blink of an eye. And I don't think I was actually stretched and warmed up enough. So I didn't think I did that very well. The temperature range from leaving at six o'clock in the morning, it was six degrees when we left. And at the end of the race, it was 16 degrees. Mm. So the temperature was quite, um, it was 10 degrees variance, which was quite a lot really. And I got my, <laughs> I got my bags mixed up. So I had my sugar rush, um, dried fruit first, <laughs> and then had my um, nuts later on. And I was because um, they were quite dry, I was choking on the nuts, and yeah. but I didn't want to have any. So it, if I could do it again, things would have been better. But in terms of sort of leading up to it, it was very. The only things that I added was um, uh, sweet potatoes leading up in the week before. Yeah. Um, but my my favourite food has got to be avocado at the moment. Yeah. Avocados, avocados, avocados. They're just fantastic. I do um, green smoothies a lot as well. Um, my indulgence is dark chocolate. And <laughs> something that you guys always talk about is um, we do, um, we cook a chicken and boil it down and we eat the chicken and we make broth out of it as well. Yum. And I think that is just fantastic. It's such a great way to go, isn't it? Well, it sounds really similar to what I did when I did my marathon and my ultra marathon, Tim. You know, I did an electrolyte drink, which was coconut water, salt, and I added in some bananas and blueberries to get a few extra of those electrolytes in there. Um, I actually have that as an, an e-book for about $2 on my website if people want to see it, which is obviously 
drbretthill.com forward slash shop. And they can read all about my experience of doing a marathon and an ultra marathon there as well. And uh, and I was the same. I, I had almonds stuffed into dates. That was my sort of combo of a bit of protein and a bit of carbs to get me through. Fantastic. And yeah. some nut balls that had lots of fat in them to help get me through. And, and that's all you need. Yeah. You know, it, it's I'll tell you what I noticed, and you may have noticed the same thing, Tim, is that when you do get to the eating stations at a marathon or an ultra marathon and you see this table full of food that people have left out for themselves or, or you see people pulling foods out of their backpacks that they've packed for themselves to eat along the way, it's phenomenal that people's bodies are able to function eating the foods that they eat. It's quite incredible, yeah, isn't absolutely. it? absolutely. Well, I think for me, it's it's just, it's not just the science behind it. It's just common sense. So if yeah. you're going to eat, eat and then pile yourself with sugar and then go for a crash a couple yeah. of, you know, an hour or so later and then, the, the graph doesn't look good for me. I, I like yeah. the idea of having this sort of constant um, energy supply throughout the day. So my normal day, I, I, I'm not great with breakfast. I kind of skip breakfast. I might have a banana and then I can quite easily go till two o'clock in the afternoon before I have my lunch and then eat about six, seven o'clock in the evening. And I'm genuinely not hungry in between. I'm, I'm quite busy in between, but compared to you know snacking and and carbs and crisps and sweets and those things that I might have had in the past, I can see how they would genuinely generate the a uh, food craving on an, an hourly basis quite easily. Yeah, absolutely. Tim, it's been a fantastic having you on board sharing your journey. It is such an amazing story. As I said, I got that email and I thought, I'm just going to have to interview Tim and, and share this story because it's a great journey of resilience and persistence and recovery and dietary changes and exercise and all of those facets that we all love to hear about. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story thank on you. your journey with us. Um, now, Tim has asked me to actually share his email live on the show. I don't think we've ever done this before, but Tim wants to hear from people about their journeys and their stories and what changes they've been making and perhaps even what they think of this interview and, and Tim's journey. So if you want to get in contact with Tim, he's actually given us an email address, which is timburnblue at gmail.com. So that's T-I-M-B-Y-R-N-E-B-L-U-E at gmail.com. And you can get in touch with Tim. Looking forward to that, Tim. We're going to hear, hear from lots of our view, listeners and fans, hopefully. Well, all I, all I can say is a huge thank you because um, of late, you know, in the last few months, when I've had to do my long runs, I've been getting up at uh, five o'clock in the morning and I've been setting off. And the only company that I've had on those runs are the, the podcasts from yourself <laughs> oh, and, and the wellness guy. guys. And you poor guy. <laughs> That's a bit rough. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been great because it's you know if you're into this sort of thing it's it's a great topic and it's it, it is as people do say it, it changes lives and it, it, that, that can't be a bad thing can it beautiful thank you so much tim that means a lot mate i love hearing those stories and thanks for reaching out to us and letting us know you know for for other people who want to do that they can join the conversation on facebook they can go on itunes and leave a review there and leave comments um you know they, they can send us an email like you did um otherwise they can join up for our newsletter at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide so join us next week on that paleo show This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.